You had just witnessed two separate conversations occurring side by side. Sounds like America 2016 to me. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on 93 FM WLRI News Radio. In Hawaii, on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York, on 102.9 FM WLPP. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul, on the great AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And yep, coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, blanketing planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Well, we've got a big, big show for you after a big, big night. But first, I need to note that in 2008, some 6 million Americans were unable to vote because they didn't register to vote, either because they didn't know how or they missed a deadline. That, according to NationalVoterRegistrationDay.org. If you watched the big presidential debate on Monday night, let it be a great reminder. Today is a fantastic day to register to vote or to make sure that your registration is up to date and or help someone else get registered today. Registration requirements are a bit different in each state, but you can find out how to do it in the state where you live or how to check your registration uh, to make sure it's still active and up to date. Remember, some states like Ohio and Kansas and Georgia and others have been illegally purging voters from the rolls. So you can go over to vote.usa.gov from wherever you are, and they will help you out. Okay, well, Trump wreck. (laughs) Last night's uh, much-anticipated first presidential debate featuring Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump as moderated by NBC's Lester Holt at Hofstra University in Long Island, New York, did not disappoint. It was quite the spectacle. Uh, Holt's chosen topics were said to be achieving prosperity, America's direction and securing America. But I will be damned if I can tell you when one section ended and the other one began the bar and the expectations for businessman and reality TV star Donald Trump were remarkably low going into the night. Set that way by the corporate media and even by his own supporters. Trump's surrogate Newt Gingrich, for example, tweeted just before the debate, Donald Trump will pass the test of being adequately competent and will get a big boost in acceptability. Adequately competent? That's it. That's all we're expecting from a commander in chief and the leader of the supposed free world. Well, apparently he didn't seem to even do adequately competently, according to the early reviews, as CNN. Yes, even CNN writes today Trump's 
tenuous relationship with the truth was remarkable. He said he was against the Iraq war. He wasn't. That Clinton's camp uh, that Clinton's camp started the birther movement. It didn't. That stop and frisk wasn't ruled unconstitutional. It was. And then they add, etc., etc., etc. Nate Silver uh, said immediately afterwards, good news for Democrats. Hard to see how that debate helped Trump. 18 out of 20 undecided voters in CNN's focus group right after the debate thought Clinton won it. 16 out of 21 on Fox News thought Clinton won it. CNN's snap poll of debate watchers immediately afterwards, which they admitted was skewed to debate watchers only, who they found to be more Democratic uh, than Republican. In any event, according to that poll, Clinton won the debate over Trump 62 to 27 percent. That would be a, uh, a thumping, as George W. Bush might have said in his day uh, on foreign policy. They saw they saw Clinton uh, uh, beating Trump in the debate 62 percent to 35 percent, though on the economy. Clinton did beat Trump in this poll, but only by four points. Uh, surprisingly close, particularly given the Democratic weighting of that particular survey. PPP's post-debate survey also found similar numbers. Hillary Clinton defeating Donald Trump in the debate 51 to 40 percent, according to um, uh, to PPP. That's an 11 point thumping uh, among young voters. Clinton, who has been underperforming with them, yet PPP found that 63 percent think she won the debate, only 24 percent for Trump. 47% of voters in that age group uh, thought that uh, the debate made them more likely to vote for her, while Trump, uh, for his part, only 23% said that the debate made them more, among young voters, made them more likely to vote for him. For Trump's campaign's part, they're citing a number of online polls finding that he was the winner by huge numbers. But those types of polls that they were citing, there were online polls. They're generally won by those with the biggest email and Facebook lists uh, pointing supporters to vote in those polls online. So they don't really mean much of anything. Uh, during the debate, uh, even many conservatives were uh, grudgingly conceding that uh, Clinton was winning big time. Right-wing blogger Eric Erickson said, damn it, people. Marco would have been mopping the floor with Clinton. Ted would. Jeb would. But this? Daily Wire's Ben Shapiro said IRS question totally threw Trump off his game and he never recovered. Former Breitbart editor John Nolte said Trump blew opportunities too defensive, explained too much, should have ignored bait, hit her on Benghazi, server, etc. Good luck with that. Uh, let's see. I got a couple more here. Even. Uh, oh, yeah. Trump's own sur surrogates here admitted that the debate was a disaster for him. Uh, former mayor, New, uh, New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani said, if I were Donald Trump, I wouldn't participate in another debate unless I was promised that the journalists would act like journalists and not an incorrect, ignorant fact checker. <laughs> Conservatives uh, uh, National Review's David French wrote, I felt like I was watching the political Titanic hit the iceberg, back up, and hit it again just for fun. Strangest reaction of the night, by the way, might have been from the uh, Lawrence, Kansas Police Department, who put out a tweet with this uh, reminder, in all caps, we realize politics can make emotions run high, but being mad at a presidential candidate in a debate is not a reason to call 911. 
Yes, they actually said that. Um, so there was a whole bunch of debates, uh, topics that they covered at the uh, at the debate, though I'll tell you, for Lester Holt, for his part and his credit, I would argue, largely set back and let the two candidates go at it, revealing a lot about themselves, frankly, rather than their positions. For my part, I think Clinton destroyed Donald Trump last night, or at least he destroyed himself. Either way, I think it was a disastrous night for Trump. I've been watching these debates for a long time, and I don't think I have ever seen anything that was so decisive in truth. Uh, you know, usually partisans will find something they like and they claim their candidate won uh, or it was a draw. But I thought this was more one sided than I have ever seen in a presidential debate. That said, President Reagan in 84 and uh, President Obama in 2012, they were also pretty universally seen as having lost their first debate. Uh, and both candidates turn that around in subsequent matchups. So with those opinions from the right, a few of my own, let's get uh, a, a bit more of the progressive perspective on what the hell happened at the first presidential debate on Monday night. Three of my favorite folks who have watched a lot of these debates as well are here with us. First, of course, our own Desi Doyen is here as usual. How are you doing, Desi Doyen? Yeah, are you surviving? I'm tired, but all right. Yeah, I know. You did a hell of a job not just surviving the heat out here in California, but surviving that debate and figuring out how to cut quotes from it, that was no easy feat, uh, given Tell what we, it. yeah, given what we, I mean, it was just insane. Word salad. Trump was all over the map, rarely a completed thought or a sentence before moving on to something else. Anyway, thank you for that uh, and for being here. I'm uh, also happy to welcome back our reigning champion. I think she... Uh, was with us for more primary debates than anyone else. I'm uh, fairly certain Heather Digby Parton, known as simply Digby to many. She's the creator of the infamous Hullabaloo blog, a regular contributor at Salon.com, and 2014's Hillman Prize winner for opinion and analysis journalism. Oh, Heather, welcome back to the broadcast. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Brad. Uh, always great uh, to have you with us, especially on days like this. Also <laughs> joining us today, no slouch himself, our old friend David Dayan, financial journalist, contributing columnist at Salon, Fiscal Times, New Republic, The Intercept, The American Prospect, and everywhere else. He's also the author of the important new book, Chain of Title, How Three Ordinary Americans Uncovered Wall Street's Great Foreclosure Fraud. Hey, David, welcome back to the broadcast, my friend. Thanks, Brad. Well, it was an amazing night. Heather, uh, Trump's behavior, it seemed to me, during the debate uh, seemed to underscore everything that the Clinton campaign has been charging about him and his temperament. Uh, he couldn't help himself. He took the bait. Uh, every single time, though, that seemed really easy. Uh, you know, the debate the, the that Clinton had set out for him. Uh, your broad thoughts, we'll get into the specifics in a bit here, but just your broad thoughts on what the hell happened last night. <laughs> well, I agree with you about um, the fact that I think she really, uh, she dominated the debate. I think it was it was clear who was in control and who wasn't. She would throw out, you know, some, she would, she would thrust and he would parry, and I'm sure that made him very, very uncomfortable being mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, major macho dude that he is. <laughs> and that's probably part of what was the problem. I mean, she was the one who was in control, and he could not grab it back. Um, on the day, uh, yesterday in the morning, I had written my, my daily column for, for Salon, and mm -hmm. my, I had gone back and looked at all the primary debates, which you and I talked about at length mm -hmm. <laughs> over all those months. Yeah. 
and in the early days, he had sort of established a kind of a you know a class cut up position in the uh, in in the lineup there. There were so many of them, and he would just come in. He would really do a jab, something really crude and cruel, and and kind of establish his dominance that way. But I noticed that as time went on and the the field narrowed, and by the time he got to the very end, and there were just four of them, there was Kasich, Rubio, and uh, and uh, Cruz. Mm-hmm. Um, Trump was much less effective. Mm. Um, he was, by that point, really rambling and incoherent. They all had much more time to uh, answer questions. And uh, I don't know if you recall, the very last debate was the serious debate. You know, everybody's going, oh, you know, they've really calmed down. We're really hearing about the issues now. Mm-hmm. This is really, you know, the, this this is it, folks. This is where we're really going to get the information. He was babbling like Sarah Palin through that <laughs> whole thing. And I went back and looked at it, and I went, hmm. Uh, if if it's true, and I wasn't sure that it was, but I was fairly confident that it was true, the one true thing the Trump campaign has ever said, which was that he was not preparing. And if that was the case, I was kind of thinking this was going to happen last night, because he has, not only does he not prepare, he has demonstrated throughout this campaign, from the very beginning, that he has no underlying knowledge of basic facts, uh, issues, substance that a, you know, I mean, I think even just a, a college freshman running for, yeah. <laughs> for, you know, for office would have. Yeah. And he is simply uninformed, and, and he's intellectually about as, as ill-prepared, I think, as anyone I've ever seen running for higher office, and that includes not even higher office, even even Congress or, or some kind of local school board. Um, he is, you know, he's been running this whole thing by the seat of his pants from the very beginning, and he has good political instincts, I'll give him credit, you know, it's not, he didn't get here, you know, by sheer mm-hmm. luck, I mean, there's a reason for it. But in, when he is exposed as having to speak for longer than a few minutes with a quick sound bike or, so, or, or some kind of a, a personal retort or something about himself or his poll numbers or that sort of thing, when he actually has to, to, to directly address an issue, he literally cannot do it. And I would even argue that the big issue that he was given credit for last night, the, the trade issue, that he was not particularly coherent on that either. There were plenty of errors in, in, in that. It's just that he sounded more confident and he had her uh, a little bit on her heels. Not really, but he had, he, it was the closest he came to actually landing a blow. Yeah, in, um, in, and, and he just is simply, look, I'm sorry, you know, I mean, I know it's not politic to say this. He's an ignoramus when it comes to, to, uh, mm-hmm. to policy. And, and I think that that showed last night, and I think that she basically just mopped the floor with it. It seems like the only uh, reason people are regarding the early part of the debate as, oh, he did well there, was because he did so poorly as the debate went on. And so the bar got lower and lower, and it's like, well, he, he didn't suck at the beginning. David Dayen, uh, as noted, you know, I'm not, I'm no Hillary Clinton fan, but I don't remember seeing another debate that was as clear of a mismatch uh, as this one was. There was a lot of talk before the debate about the bar being lowered for Trump by the media and really by the public, by all of us, you know, that if he didn't, you know, do something stupid or punch Hillary in the face, that would be a win for Donald Trump. I don't even think he met that low bar. As noted, I think he was a disaster. Your very broad general thoughts in that regard. Yeah, uh, I think that there were uh, two debates, and I I don't want to say that in the context like, um, you know, uh, parroting some conventional wisdom about Trump did well and then he didn't do well. No, Uh, what I mean by that is uh, the first 
half hour and and why I think it's been caught up into this thing where it was it was more of a contested race mm-hmm. uh, is that the first half hour could have been two candidates running for state legislature in some district in North Carolina uh, in a swing district that was the Republican mainstream vision versus the Democratic mainstream vision. It was really uh, almost kind of a departure. You know, I mean, uh, Clinton has been very much uh, on, on, you know, going after Trump for character issues, for his particular uh, comments against women, comments uh, on, on Muslim Americans, mm-hmm. on, on, on Hispanics. Uh, this was about uh, tax policy. It was about uh, regulations. It was about uh, trickle-down economics, what she called trumped-up trickle-down. Uh, this is the kind of debate that we are accustomed to uh, in uh, at a top level of democratic politics and, and politics in general. Small d democratic in, in politics. In the sense yeah. that uh, that was... Uh, you know, something where, where Trump showed, flashed well or whatever, I mean, or what have you. I think it's just because it was more familiar. Right. Where it became unfamiliar is in the last hour of debate where Trump kind of seemed like the guy that police would come upon in the woods <laughs> in over standing over a body holding a shovel in his hand. There was just this extreme amount of, of backpedaling and explaining uh, <laughs> frantically going on that, that that I think made everybody uncomfortable. Well, <laughs> let, let, let me let me before we get to the part with the uh, the guy in the wood with the shovel. Uh, let, let me stick to the the, the well, let's which see was it. the Republican Party, if you want to have a metaphor that uh, the person. Uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Uh, the, the, but yet, David, the uh, the CNN poll, uh, which was heavily weighted towards Democrats, still found that Clinton only beat him on the uh, issue of economy, 51 to 47, four points. That right. seems surprisingly close. Because it was a standard D versus R debate, at least for part of it. And Trump made the, the point trying to sever Clinton from the president on the issue of the TPP, which was could have been effective if it was followed on. Uh, but what's interesting is where Clinton made the turn. And I actually wrote about this for the Fiscal Times today. Mm-hmm. Uh, where she made the turn is by looking at the specific instances of Trump as a businessman mm-hmm. and really took that and put it in the position of the common sort of conservative argument that government should be run by a business and saying here's the logical extension of that is that you get a government run by a businessman of the likes of trump that cheats creditors that files bankruptcy that takes advantage of people that takes advantage of loopholes uh and and that that really undermines the sort of structure of 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 fairness and uh, the ability for the little guy to get ahead. And that was an important moment, and it wasn't just an important moment for this debate. And uh, we can talk about that. Yeah, let's get into some of those specifics in a moment. I'm going to have to take a a break here shortly. But, uh, Heather, uh, real real quickly, uh, I need to 
To fess up here, I thought that Lester Holt was going to get steamrolled by Trump. And by the way, I thought the same thing might be true for Hillary Clinton, uh, particularly due to that low bar I've discussed. Uh, Holt didn't get steamrolled. In fact, I appreciated the fact that he sat back and let them go after each other. And uh, that's somewhat, as I understand it, Trump's own fault because he reportedly wouldn't agree on on rules for time that they usually have in advance. Uh, your thoughts on that and on uh, on last Lester Holt's uh, tactics there, whether they were carried out on purpose or not by him? Well, I, I didn't know that, that he had not agreed to restraints on time. That was a big mistake, <laughs> because yeah. normally, and, and it drives me crazy, too, because when you're watching these things, it's like ding, 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 and mm-hmm. you're okay, all right, you know, interrupting, interrupting. It's very annoying. I really liked this format yeah. of them being allowed to just kind of, and they went back and forth, and yes, he interrupted her, but you know what, that that's all right. She's a big girl. I'm sure she's used to being interrupted by obnoxious men. Um, so, uh, you know, it's we all got to see that she can handle that without losing her cool or bursting into tears. So, you know, that's good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, you know, I felt like that was really good. And, and he actually, I mean, I thought he was very, uh, Holt, uh, I, was, I was very impressed. I mean, I thought that his questions were good, and I thought that his follow-ups, and he didn't, you know, aggressively, go, you know, do one of those gotcha things. Well, now let me tell you know, let me let me quote you from mm-hmm. 1978, saying blah blah blah. It was more like, no, that that's actually not true. Uh, you said this, blah, you know, and uh, you know wh- how, what we're talking about here is uh, racial healing. I think was the term he used. So you know, how do you explain this? And I thought he did a good job, and I thought he let both of them, you know, they got to uh, exchange. You know, it was an exchange between the two candidates, and I really hope the rest of them do this. I hate this time thing, and and yeah. I I didn't know it was Trump, but it was one, it was a mistake on his part to do that. Uh, if that's the case, because I think it worked in her favor. Yeah, and uh, it, uh, not just that it worked in her favor, but that we got to see them for who yeah. they are, seemingly. Uh, on the other hand, uh, Jeff McCall, a professor of communications at DePaul University, said he felt it was not a good night for Lester Holt. He said he allowed the candidates to walk all over him. He lost control early on and never. Ever got it back uh, and yeah. that he yeah I know uh, that he well that he also that he appeared to uh, challenge Trump more than Clinton before we go to the break here David Day and uh, Lester Holt did in fact check Trump uh, fact check him on taxes on Iraq on stop and frisk he didn't do the same for Hillary Clinton I think that's because she didn't lie as much as he did <laughs> But uh, let me give you a chance, uh, David, to uh, fact check here real quick. Uh, we'll have some specifics after the break. But is there anything that jumped out at you from Hillary Clinton that you feel should have been live fact checked last night uh, by either Holt or Trump that, that she was able to get away with and, and, and should have been called out on as you saw it? Uh, I'm not sure if there's any anything leaps to mind about that i mean there aside from my own personal bugaboos when she said there were five million people who lost their homes actually closer to nine but that's just me talking what? <laughs> that would just be a fact check for me well what's um, four but, million lost uh, homes you between know friends. i haven't really been connected to the chatter online today uh, for a variety of reasons but uh i i, I was expecting a lot of whining coming from the right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that there was no immigration uh, section, no mm-hmm. question at all, when that issue, at least on the Republican side, has dominated uh, the entire election, pro- uh, mm-hmm. almost uh, to the exclusion of, of most other issues. 
the fact that there was no, uh, you know, I, I'm not that I was really hoping for another rehash of Benghazi or emails or anything, but there was no question on that. I, I thought that there would be some, some ref working in a serious way mm-hmm. uh, today from the right, and I'm not sure if that has happened or not. Uh, and we'll see how that plays out. You know, down the road we have Chris Wallace that's going to be uh, one of the moderators. Uh, I forget. Uh, I think it's uh, Anderson Cooper, perhaps. Yeah, Anderson uh, Cooper. In the other one. Yeah. Uh, Martha so we'll Raddatz, I think. And Martha yeah, Raddatz yeah, together, I think. I think. A, a, yeah. I think there are actually two moderators. Yeah. yeah. Um, we'll see how they react, uh, because I do think that now the way in which these debates have been built up the way in which the pre-gaming has almost overtaken the spectacle, uh, the, 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 this, and, and it's not really uh, responsible, I think, in many ways, but the, the way that both sides sort of yell and scream about these things prior to the event kind of dictates where the event goes, at least to a minor degree. And to be fair, there we'll th- there has been uh, uh, whining about the lack of immigration uh, uh, conversation, but also lack of discussion on the environment, health care, the Supreme Court, poverty, abortion rights, uh, right. student debt, no, privacy. Uh, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Broken campaign finance system, voting rights, drug policy, all of that. Uh, there's only so much time, I guess, particularly if you want to let these guys actually talk to each other. Uh, as Lester Holt did. Let, let, let's hold it there for a second. Sit tight. Let me take a quick break, uh, and we will come back with, uh, we'll get into some of these specifics uh, in this amazing, another amazing debate last night. Uh, we're uh, with my guests, uh, David Dayan and Heather digby Parton, and of course, Desi Doyen, and myself, Brad Friedman, right here on the Bradcast. Don't touch that dial. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round, like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to help keep us going. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. And thanks. I will release my tax returns against my lawyer's wishes when she releases her 33,000 emails that have been deleted. Well, I think you've just seen another example of bait and switch here. We know the IRS has made clear there is no prohibition on releasing it when you're under audit. So you've got to ask yourself, why won't he release his tax returns? Maybe he's not as rich as he says he is. Maybe he's not as charitable as he claims to be. We don't know all of his business dealings, or maybe he doesn't want the American people, all of you watching tonight, to know that he's paid nothing in federal taxes because the only years that anybody's ever seen, he didn't pay any federal income tax. So that makes if me he's smart. Paid- you don't learn that much from tax returns, that I can tell you. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Our special presidential debate coverage today, uh, writing about the Clinton-Trump debate on Monday night. The GOP candidates uh, needed to convince women to vote for him, says uh, Roll Call columnist Walter Shapiro. 
He wrote that Trump seemed to be debating with the single-minded goal of turning his gender gap into a canyon. In 1973, a trash-talking, overage, self-described chauvinist pig named Bobby Riggs took on Billie Jean King in a tennis match in the Houston Astrodome that was billed as the Battle of the Sexes. King won in straight sets. History repeated itself Monday. Clinton defeated Trump in straight sets, uh, says Walter Shapiro, with a very good reminder for those old, uh, old enough to remember that uh, Bobby Riggs, Billie Jean King match. Uh, Donald Trump really is the Bobby Riggs of politics this year. My guests are uh, David Dayan, of course, of the Fiscal Times and Heather Digby Parton of Salon.com. Uh, David, you heard the exchange there at the top about Trump and his taxes. She called him out uh, on releasing them again. Uh, Dan Senor, the uh, former Bush administration official and Mitt Romney advisor, said Clinton did something tonight that no journalist has been able to do, surgically take him apart on his tax returns. And she explained why it matters. So why does it matter, David Dayan? Uh, what can we tell from his taxes that we can't see from his campaign disclosure? He kept pointing people to his FEC, his Federal Election Campaign uh, uh, Commission uh, campaign disclosures. Um, what can we see from his taxes that we cannot see from these FEC disclosures he keeps pointing to? Well, I, I think it's more, it's about more than just the taxes. And she brought in uh, really a host of issues mm -hmm. uh, last night from taxes to bankruptcies to, you know, uh, shortchanging employees who do work for him and then uh, don't get paid. Uh, this was all of a piece to, to really position him on what's supposed to be this great strength that he's a businessman, he can get government in shape and make great deals the American people, uh, she really showed the bankruptcy of that entire argument. And what's really interesting... Pun intended, I suspect. Yeah. yeah. And what's really interesting is that Trump didn't deny it. Right. I mean, you heard in that clip after she said, well, maybe he didn't pay any federal income tax because in these two years he didn't pay any, he said, that makes me smart. I mean, his whole idea is, yes, I'm going to weaponize government and put it to use for America in uh, some sort of form of economic nationalism. And Clinton's argument, and I don't think this would have come up if it was any other opponent, was that, you know, government shouldn't just be run like a business. And that is really important, because these events every four years are really the only time that the entire country, or at least the entire part of the country that's interested in politics, gets together and watches the same thing uh, and sees both sides mm -hmm. of the argument. And for Clinton in this public forum, uh, this was not the reinventing government, Clintons. This was not the, uh, uh, the era of big government is over, Clintons. This was someone who said, you know what? Sometimes these business, business experience doesn't transfer over into uh, uh, the office of the chief executive. And I think that's a really important concept for the public to have heard last night. Uh, and, and I hope it has a resonance that goes well beyond this election uh, and, and starts to get at the core uh, ideological differences between the parties, because it's something that, that Democrats don't 
often say, and they certainly don't say it enough. Well, they don't, and uh, and yet I, I, I'm not sure that is going to be the message that is heard. I think people are focusing on the personal issues. Did he pay his taxes and things like that? Let me play this clip. Um, if, if, well, they were talking about, uh, well, it, it was hard to figure out what they were talking about because they were going from one thing to another. He was going from one thing to another, couldn't finish a sentence. Um but here is uh, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Uh, Trump is saying that uh, our infrastructure is a disaster. This after years of Obama trying to, you know, pass an infrastructure bill. Uh, and then he gave this admission that, uh, well, it seems kind of extraordinary. Our airports are like from a third world country. And we're a mess. We're a debtor nation. We're a serious debtor nation. And we have a country that needs new roads, new tunnels, new bridges, new airports, new schools, new hospitals. And we don't have the money because it's been squandered on so many of your ideas. Your and maybe and we'll because you haven't paid any federal income tax for a lot of years. And the other thing I think is important. It would be squandered, too, believe me. So. He's, he, he, he didn't deny it. He said it would be squandered, no, too, had I paid it. it. Yeah. That is the point. He so, said, I, I work the system to my benefit, and if you elect me, I'm going to work the system to your benefit. But why should we believe that if the only person he's ever cared about by his business record is himself? And, and, and by extension, that is sort of the corporate mentality that uh, uh, Clinton was uh, uh, to attack. Heather, did, uh, did did you hear it as, as Trump admitting that he doesn't pay any federal <laughs> income taxes there? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, he, he, he said, you know, well, I, I'm smart. Um, and I think that that is an admission. Um, I agree with David on this. I think mm-hmm. I think that he that she did make a, an important argument there. And I think one of the things that people have to kind of realize, and I don't know how many people heard it specifically in terms of him, but making this kind of argument that when, you know, with Trump, it's all kind of a, you know, l'état c'est moi thing, you know, I am the state. When he says, I'm going to make America great again, what he's saying, and he said it later when he's talking about how they're going to bring billions back and create jobs and do all that stuff, that's that's the Romney plutocrat argument, which Mm -hmm. Trump is getting away with, you know, uh, kind of papering over with his talk about trade. This, the his argument is, is that I am going to make our billionaires even richer than they already are, our American billionaires, and they're going to spend their money, and then they're going to, you know, they're going to create jobs. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's Mitt Romney. He never sees workers as anything more than a statistic on some kind of a spreadsheet that shows where America is in the world, in you know, in his view, the best GDP, or you know, we're number one. That's what that's making America great again. He never talks specifics about how you know some you know s- s- workers are going to benefit from this, and to the extent that he does. He has said very explicitly in the past that, you know, wages are going to have to come down. He has said that what he wants to do, we won't be shipping jobs overseas, we'll be shipping them to different states. And in other states where they can pay less, then the guy, the people, the workers in the uh, original states may have to lower their wages in order to compete. I mean, this is, you know, th- th- it's a nationalist argument. It's not really a populist argument. And it's easy to confuse those things because they're often kind of, you know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of tentacles in both of those arguments that sort of reach into the other. 
but his focus is nationalism, and that appeals to a lot of the same people, by the way. It's not, you know, they feel a sense, a loss of pride and status, and, you know, America isn't what it used to be, and damn it, you know, we ran the world and now we don't. But that is, that is, the, that is what, what she was kind of getting at, and, and basically trying to tie him to the Republican Party. In fact, let me quote something that Robert Costa said on MSNBC last night. And he's got very he's got great, great you know contacts in the, in the yeah. yeah in the in the Republican Party and yeah. I think he I think he saw this in a way maybe from that perspective that was interesting. She said she yanked him toward the Republican Party. You're not going to be able to run as an outsider. You can't be a populist. You're just like George W. Bush. You're trickle down economics like Ronald Reagan. You're supply side trumped up economics. Mm. This is a candidate whose real appeal is that he's non ideological. That he's not running as a partisan Mitt Romney George W. Bush. Republican, and she said, "I'm not going to let you do that." Mm. And I thought that was an interesting and that insight. Was really interesting and and different because what we know, uh, and 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 BuzzFeed had a story on this, and we we've, we've seen it throughout the campaign. She has put him on the other side of the Republican yes. Party. She has said he is too extreme for the Republican Party. There are ads with Lindsey Graham and Susan Collins oh, and, and all of these Republicans saying. I can't stomach Trump. I can't vote for Trump. She has, and this, uh, by the way, Democrats in, in the House and Senate are, are not happy with this because they're trying to tie they, their opponents to Donald Trump. And here's the top of the ticket who's saying, no, this guy is totally on, a, on another plane, another wavelength. This is not the Republican you've seen before. And, and, and this is a play to, to try to get Republicans, not it's not a, a, a policy play, but it's a play sort of to character, to try to bring some Republicans, wayward Republicans, along to vote for her. Uh, uh, what it does for the party is something else. But she changed that last night. She really did li- uh, 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 put him in that position of a 1% plutocrat who wants to uh, uh, give mm-hmm. corporations and the wealthy a, a, a giant break. This whole repatriation thing, I just want to briefly touch on that. This is amnesty. This is corporations overseas have trillions of dollars stashed away because they don't want to pay taxes on it. And what he wants to do is allow them to bring it back and give them a huge tax cut, something on the order of paying 6% on the money rather than the 35% they actually would. Uh, in order to bring back the money. And what we know, because we've done this before, and even George W. Bush has admitted that it did not work. None of that money goes to investment. It all goes to dividends. It all goes to stock buybacks. It goes into the pockets of shareholders and the wealthy executives in these companies. Uh, That is amnesty. That is what he's proposing. The signature proposal in that uh, entire debate was a massive tax amnesty for the largest corporations in this country. Let me and 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 that needs to be hit home a little harder. Let me. And by the way, Chuck yeah. Schumer's for it too. And and Clinton's not necessarily against it. So no, I know this is a, this is a bipartisan problem. The, you're you know you're absolutely right. And and I should note uh, by the way, David, uh, the um, because you said that it it put some of this sort of business republicanism on uh, on display uh clinton said uh, donald was one of the people who rooted for the housing crisis right. trump jumped in and said that's called business you yep. wrote a book uh, obviously about the housing uh, crisis and 
And to see him coming out and admitting as much that he was rooting for the, the housing market to crash because he hoped he made money on it. You're right. That seems like it must have resonance somewhere. But I, it shows the pitfalls of being <laughs> uh, of, of, of weaponizing government, of, of, of treating government like it's a business where you can take advantage of other people. All right, well... People, people recoil from that. Well, speaking of weaponizing uh, business and government, uh, how Donald Trump made this leap in the middle of this conversation that's a little bit incoherent, my apologies in advance, but uh, let me play you there, talking about taxes, and suddenly, before you know it, we're at ISIS. And people who have looked at both of our plans have concluded that mine would create 10 million jobs and yours would lose us three and a half million jobs. You are going to approve one of the biggest tax increases in history. You are going to drive business out. Your regulations are a disaster and you're going to increase regulations all over the place. And by the way, my tax cut is the biggest since Ronald Reagan. I'm very proud of it. I'm going to cut regulations, but I'm going to cut taxes big league, and you're going to raise taxes big league. Not you'll see. add a penny to the debt, and your plans would add $5 trillion to the debt. You're, I'm going to you give go you a to chance her website, right here. and you take a look at her website. She's going to raise taxes $1.3 trillion. Mr. Trump, and look at her website. She's telling us how to fight ISIS. Just go to her website. She tells you how to fight ISIS on her website. I don't think General Douglas MacArthur would like that right, too the much. Next, the, next, the next segment, we're continuing well, the subject. Well, at least I have a plan to fight ISIS. No, no, you're telling the enemy everything you want to do. No, we're not. See, you're no, telling the not. enemy everything we you are, want to do. No wonder you've fighting. been fighting. No wonder you've been fighting ISIS Folks. your entire adult life. Okay. Okay. Now. We, we, we cut that for time, but we didn't cut that by much. He really went straight to ISIS out of taxes and regulations and, and national debt and so forth. Uh, some of our cuts actually do him a favor, I think, by trying to make sense of what it was that he was actually saying. Uh, Heather, you got any thought? Who wants that one? <laughs> uh, oh, I'll take it. Go ahead. <laughs> what the heck? Um, you know, I, I can't speak for the way, you know, thoughts travel through that man's mind. It's obviously he's all over. It's like, what I think happened there was that she mentioned website, yeah. and yeah. he then thought of, oh, she has plans to defeat ISIS. You know, like she's got battle plans on her side to defeat ISIS or something. And, you know, so he, and then, you know, of course, the minute he says ISIS or, or fight or anything like that, then for some unknown reason, the long-dead General MacArthur comes up <laughs> a lot, uh, when it's not General Patton or, God forbid, Black Jack Pershing from, from the Spanish-American War, where he does the thing with the pig's blood, you know, the bullets right. dipped in pig, pig's That's blood, right. and right. mass murdering a bunch of Muslims in, in the Philippines. Um, you know, so, this this is the way his mind works. I can't really speak for it, but, but his idea there, I mean, if we want to just pivot a little bit to the foreign policy side of this, uh, he literally seems to believe that America can have no public foreign policy or national security posture. Because it, we can't say anything about that. We can't let anyone in the world know what our positions are, our values, have, what we think, uh, what we should do, because if we do, you know, the enemy is going to find out about it, and then they're going to counter, you know, whatever we're going to move. It's, it's the most puerile 
you know, so, uh, juvenile approach that I've ever heard. It's convenient, I mean, it's like Nixon's secret plan to end the war. Of course, it's he doesn't idiotic. have to say anything because he doesn't have anything to say. Uh, of course, well, he does. You know, he has said. I mean, let's be fair. He has said that he would take the oil. Oh, that's true. that's his big thing. He would take the oil. We don't know what's entailed in that, or you know, what he thinks. He has said at different times that he would put some. He would have some groups. You'd have a group guarding it. <laughs> I think really that group is normally called. At once, yeah. By the way, they've been pumping oil yeah. for like forty years. <laughs> That's right. We're going to get it out of there. Like, but hit, the oil is bring a it home. Elongated process. <laughs> but yeah. his plan. No, we're going to on <laughs> remove it all, and we're going to bring it home, and then we'll be done with those people once and for all. I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get, to, I gotta get to a break. I think he's just going to send a great big straw down from space <laughs> and, and pull it and out. Drink your milkshake. That's right. <laughs> Well, actually, you know, and I should point out, because I keep having to point this out, you know, he likes to pretend like, oh, when I was asked by Howard Stern, I didn't really, you know, I was just sort of asked, I just kind of lightly answered, but he still persists in the idea that he can take the oil, and that's a violation of the Geneva Conventions. Oh, I mean, flat-out violation of international law. How quaint, Desi Doyen. <laughs> uh, let me take a quick break, and we'll be, we'll be back with uh, more on that. The Iraq War c- coming up, his uh, judgment, his temperament, maybe some race. We'll see what we have time for in our last few minutes uh stand by we'll be back with the bradcast and david dayan and heather digby parton and desi doyan i'm brad friedman don't go away well i have much better judgment than she does there's no question about that i also have a much better temperament than she has you know i think my strongest asset maybe by far is my temperament i came in like a red Welcome back to the Bradcast, our special Bradcast coverage of the first presidential debate of 2016 uh, up in uh, New York on Monday night with my guests Heather Digby Parton and David Dayan. Uh, All right, let's actually play a little bit more of that and then I'll get uh, comments from uh, both of you guys on this uh, his uh, his his temperament, the Iraq War, and everything else, all built into this uh, into this one clip. Donald supported the invasion of Iraq. Wrong. That is absolutely wrong. Proved over and over again. Wrong. Act- you had supported the war in Iraq before the invasion. What makes your I did not support what, the war two, in Iraq. Two thousand two. That is a mainstream media nonsense put out by her. Since you, you would you like to hear? It, why is your I was against your the war. Wait a minute. I was against the war in Iraq when I did an interview with Howard Stern. I said very lightly, I don't know, maybe, who knows. I then spoke to Sean Hannity, which everybody refuses to call Sean Hannity. If somebody would call up Sean Hannity, this was before the war started. Question was, why is your judgment any different than Mrs. Clinton? Well, I have much better judgment than she does. There's no question about that. I also have a much better temperament than she has. You know, I have a much better. I think my strongest asset, maybe by far, is my temperament. Secretary Clinton. Woo, okay. <laughs> okay, audible laughter in the, uh, at Hofstra University there. They literally laughed out loud when he's talking about how great his judgment and temperament is while he's turning red in the face. Heather Digby-Parton, you have the floor. 
Well, I mean, this uh, you, you saw how the, how the audience reacted. I mean, uh, especially after the performance that he had just put on. Um, it's it was just it was absurd. But um, it's interesting because he's done this throughout the entire campaign. He he does do one thing. He, he can't study an issue for you know. Obviously, he has no no uh, ability. Uh, to actually learn anything about substance, but he does study polls, and in the polls it shows that her temperament is considered to be better than his, and his common reaction to anything like that is to just basically say the opposite. No, my temperament is better than hers. It's the, you can believe me or you can believe your lion eyes, and you know, strategy, and it apparently works for him with, with, uh, with people who are voting for him. I, I find it a little bizarre that people would actually fall for that, but they, they seem to. Essentially, he just, uh, you know, I think that, that he just, he is a, uh, he's a politician with good instincts about certain things, and the fact that he will stand there and just assert boldly something that is patently and obviously absurd and stand there and do it, I think, I think there are people who are impressed by that. It is, you know, it is a, it's a ballsy move to do that. Okay. And, uh, and he did it, and I don't think he won the day last night. It was obvious because he behaved like a petulant child through most of the debate. But um, I think that it has been something that actually has worked for him. You say petulant child like that's a bad thing. That's what, <laughs> that's what got him here. Desi Doyen, you well, had a, a... Yeah, I just, um, when you said that, Heather, that made me think, you know, he's really good. We all know he's really good at working the room, at reading the room, and and, and telling the people what they want to hear in most cases. Um, and perhaps maybe that's why he had trouble finding his footing, not only being knocked off by uh, Hillary Clinton and in a number of ways by being dominated by her, but also it's really hard to read a room when there's no reaction. Yeah. And yeah. which was not allowed. Uh, it, it wasn't supposed to be allowed as it was during the primary races. Uh, Huffington Post's Howard Feynman said that Donald Trump turned in the worst, and I mean worst, debate performance in modern times. It was so bad that in a normal year it would disqualify him from getting anywhere near the White House. But this is 2016, a year so weird, unsettled and unsettling that even the spectacle of an unprepared and almost incoherent Trump reeling from blow after blow from Clinton may not be enough to slow him down. Uh, Heather, well, actually, let me take this to David. Uh, David, uh, does does the needle move here after a night like we saw at Hofstra? University uh, on Monday? Oh, geez, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I, I've uh, developed an allergy to predicting <laughs> where this race is well, going. To well, let go. me let me put uh, it. I, I, I really have no idea. Well, let um, me let me put it this way, David. Uh, is there a danger in uh, for for Clinton and for her supporters getting sort of cocky and complacent again, as they seem to, you know, yeah, after the convention? There always is. Yeah, uh, that 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 complacency is always an issue, and and you know, there's a way that people can engage with uh, with with this kind of race, and it, it involves uh, you know getting involved in, in volunteering and 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 doing that sort of thing. If uh, you know, the pure expressions of joy or despair is not really going to cut it. <laughs> uh, you're going to have to get out and 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 get involved. I do want to say one thing about about Trump. And, and being unprepared, there yeah. actually is something that he does seem to be prepared for, and that is all of these sort of right-wing fever swamp tropes uh, that he did bring up uh, on, on repeated occasion 
last night. The problem is that no average American actually knows <laughs> what he's talking about. And so there was this weird sensation that I had. I consider myself pretty well informed, and I didn't know what he was talking about half the time when he's talking about very random appearances in front of the AFL-CIO or uh, his support from, from the Immigration and Customs Enforcement when he actually meant the union uh, of the Border Patrol. Uh, you know, th- there are these, these, these things that happen on Fox News and at Breitbart.com that the, 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 the ordinary American among the hundred million that watched last night just aren't clued into. And he only gave half the story. He didn't give the context at all. <laughs> so it just sounded even more incoherent than, than, than otherwise it might have. Let me get in one last clip here. Uh, this is uh, t- talking about, uh, well, his claim that she does not have the stamina uh, to, to be presidential and that she doesn't look presidential. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Earlier this month, you said she doesn't have, quote, a presidential look. She's standing here right now. What did you mean by that? Uh, She doesn't have the look. She doesn't have the stamina. I said she doesn't have the stamina. And I don't believe she does have the stamina. You have so many different things you have to be able to do. And I don't believe that Hillary has the stamina. Let's let her respond. As soon as he travels to 112 countries and negotiates a peace deal, a ceasefire, a release of dissidents, an opening of new uh, opportunities in nations around the world, or even spends 11 hours testifying in front of uh, a congressional committee. He can talk to me about stamina. The world, let me tell you. Oh, man, uh, mic drop. Uh, Josh Marshall writes that, uh, sure, Donald Trump was bad, but she was at least as good as he was bad. And I got to say, I'm, you know, I said uh, earlier, I'm not a big Clinton fan, but she had the weight of the world on her shoulders last night. And I do think that the pressure uh, had to be extraordinary. But so while he failed, she really did also exceed expectations, I think, uh, at the very least. Heather? Oh, absolutely. You know, she's <laughs> she's a professional politician. She's very, very good at what she does. I, I think she's never gotten enough credit for it. I think there's a lot of, you know, things that go on in that, but not the least of which is certain sexist assumptions. Um, and I think, I, think she's, I think she's a pretty darn good politician, to be honest with you. I don't think the first woman, uh, you know, you can't discount her and say that some lousy <laughs> politician could get to the point where she is. Uh, and not be pretty good at what she does. And I think that she was coming in there, coming, and, and it's the stamina question. The sexism is related to him saying she doesn't look like a president. And, you know, they addressed that at the Democratic Convention when they showed all the pictures of the president and then, boom, shattered the, mm. the, the glass and there was, there was Hillary on the big screen. Uh, that was showing, I think, yes, she doesn't look like any president has ever looked before because, you know, She's a woman, and they've ne- there's never been one. But the stamina question, I think she really did have to answer that last night. Uh, unfortunately, her, her bout with pneumonia, the coughing, and, and this, this concerted attack on the right, which had been going on for, for at least six weeks, probably longer they'd been setting it up, 
of her having some problem and her being mentally unstable and not being able to, you know, kind of handle it and Trump pounding for months and months that she didn't have the strength and the stamina to do it. That was all a plan. That wasn't something that just sort of happened spontaneously. And when she unfortunately tried to fight that and barrel through when she got pneumonia and that video turned up, it was like, I think that is probably what had the biggest effect on her poll numbers in the recent period. Uh, To the extent that she lost numbers, I think that was probably the precipitating event. And I think last night she put that to rest. You you didn't look at that woman and go, you know, she's weak or she's got a problem or she can't think or, you know, whatever it was, she's got brain damage or whatever it was they were going to say. You know, she was totally in control, not just in control, she was dominating. And I think that when you dominate Donald Trump and you do that in front of 100 million people, I, th- I think that's going to have an effect on her. And I think we, uh, you asked David whether or not the polls are going to bump. I don't have any idea either. But I will say that I, won't, I would never have expected them to, but I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, an uptick uh, for her just because of, the, of what you just said. Well, I think that she dominated, and I think that he cratered on such a massive level. And they were, uh, her, her poll numbers were cratering. I think at the very least, uh, maybe she staunched the bleeding. I actually think uh, it, it could turn them around. Uh, I thought she was just that good. Uh, anyway, that was Heather Digby-Parton. You can find her work as ever at Salon.com and at Digby's blog dot blogspot dot com and on the twitters at digby56 and david dayan uh you are at uh, d dayan on the twitters at also at salon and fiscal times and uh, your book uh which is uh, hopefully doing very well uh, uh, the uh, chain of title what's the, what's the subtitle there i don't have it in front of me all of a sudden dave chain of title how three ordinary americans uncovered wall street's great foreclosure fraud and for those of you in South uh, Southern California, I'm uh, speaking about Chain of Title tomorrow in uh, Westlake Village on Wednesday at uh, a restaurant called Cisco's, uh, which has a room in the back. And uh, that is at 925 South Westlake Boulevard in Westlake Village, California at 6 o'clock tomorrow smartly done and check out uh, his uh, tumblr his tumblr site right where you have all of your uh, uh yep. appearances coming david day and all one word dot tumblr.com smartly done all right we got to get out we'll be doing this again soon with the vice presidential and two more presidential debates showing uh, coming up if donald trump decides to show up there uh <laughs> my thanks to uh both heather digby parton and david day and of course to my producer desi doyan thank you very much for f- wrestling that to the ground and you can find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it for free as ever at bradblog.com or drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman with one final thought. We are now less than 1,500 days from the 2020 presidential oh, elections. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.